When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 66 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby. Here with Mark Craig and Andy McCullough. Uh, Andy, how are you doing today? Grant, I'm okay, actually. I'm in a pretty good mood. My audio works today. It's almost the fall. It's basically the fall, right? Here in New York, it's like 75 and, you know, sort of cloudy every day, which is nice. Andy, you're on mute. Shut up, Grant. Shut up. I'm in a good mood. Why would you do this? (laughs) Sorry, sorry. You're gearing up for? The postseason. Going to a concert in Madison Square Garden tomorrow where uh, Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service will be playing. Possible friend of the show might be there. We don't know. Things are good, man. I got no complaints. Coach Prime is here. We're doing great. <laughs> Mark, how you doing, man? I'm just laughing at Jay Norvell. That's what I'm doing. Poor Jay Norvell. <laughs> Try, trying to stir it up. He was cloud chasing. There's nothing wrong with cloud chasing. What's a Jay Norvell? Jay Norvell coaches Colorado State. He used to co- coach Nevada, actually. Um before they went into the toilet. But anyway, uh, yeah, he uh, criticized Coach Prime, and because I'm on the bandwagon, um, this is me showing my support for said coach. This is how you can get me, like like we do with Mark, like when we're like, hey, Andy, you ever see when Minus the Bear played with Daryl Hall, right? You know, like that's how, <laughs> what we do. Like you can just talk about college football and just start making stuff up. Oh, like. my God, that's so great. Grant, are you, you're aware of the Coach Prime phenomenon? Yeah. I you know mean, who we're Twitter. talking about. He played baseball back in the day. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I do know Coach Prime. Okay. So I'm not that unhip. But in general, I mean, you could just start, you know, well, Minnesota Tech's really going to take it this year. And I'll be like, oh, maybe they will. <laughs> For the purest roundtable heads that don't, you know, screw around with this YouTube stuff, I am in uh, ball cap and shades. I look like I'm about to rob a bank. Or Coach Colorado football, one of the two. Anyway, um, this is me supporting Coach Prime. I'm the Coach Prime bandwagon. Grant, if you, you should listen to my advice. Take them to cover against Nebraska State next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess East-West Michigan. I would. I just don't There's no Nebraska that. State that plays in Division One. Uh, you okay, walk see, right I into just, that. That's I just one don't of those know. band things right there. Yeah. I just don't know college football. And besides, <laughs> I wouldn't bet on college football because I know so much more about baseball. 
Yeah, you gotta gotta save these jokes until like after like seven minutes in. Because it's possible the people on the masthead will listen to the first three minutes just for quality control. Just give them credit though. That that deserves a Grant Brisby Award (laughs) for Grantism. That was Grant Brisby Award presented by me, Grant Brisby. That's right. The Granties. All right. uh, Let's talk. Listen, uh, on The Athletic, we publish well reported sports stories. Uh, and some of them are really worth pointing out. And one of them dropped today where Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn collaborated on a story about one of my favorite genres. What in the hell happened to? And so what in the hell happened to the Padres is the subject of their story. I'm a, an amateur Padresologist. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, I picked them to win the World Series this year. They are not. Um, Still in it. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, they're on a winning streak, baby. Um, so <laughs> let's talk. Padres, Rosenthal, Lynn, let's, uh, who wants to start? Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, The Athletic, like, we do publish, we publish such, like, well-reported stories, and we publish columns by Kerrig and I. So, like, it really gives you, like, all manner of journalism. You can see the whole spectrum. The Padres are interesting to me just because they are kind of the most disappointing type of team. They are less than the sum of their parts. You go to baseball reference and it's not like everyone has a 90 OPS plus. It's not like the rotation has a five. It's You can't just be like, look, baseball is a hard game. These guys stunk this year. They're much more exasperating because they are, you know, they're getting a career year of Hassan Kim. Blake Snell might win uh, the Cy Young Award. Fernando Tatis came back from suspension, and while he's not the 1,000 OPS type MVP that he looked like he was, he's had a five-win season. He's played quality right field. He's got an almost 800 OPS. Juan Soto has a 900 OPS. Manny Machado's turned it on in the second half. You know, you look at all these things, you're like, yeah, well, this their Pythag suggests that they should be the second wild card, or the first wild card team. They should have 84 wins according to their Pythag. And they're just careening on a bridge to nowhere. And it's the sort of thing where, like, when you have players this good who are being paid this much, who sort of fail this spectacularly, it leads to some deeper questions, which is what Dennis and Ken got into in their story about the clubhouse chemistry, about the relationship between A.J. Preller and Bob Melvin, about just how long A.J. Preller can continue to convince, you know, Peter Seidler to spend, uh, about Preller's own, you know, sort of management stuff. And look, when you lose, these are the type of stories that happen, especially when, you know, you work for a site that publishes great reporting and also Mark and I. <laughs> I appreciate you leaving me out, but come on. Like, I I literally wrote about the Padres yesterday, and I used that bit that I used on here about how, like, it's Ray Kroc and the cattle spirits um, dragging around. <laughs> like, I just recycled stuff that I already said on a podcast, so I belong on that, too. You know, I don't have a ton of industry sources. Uh, I am mostly just winging it out here. But I have talked to people about A.J. Preller and his style of management. And I'm going to screw this up as a game of telephone, but it was relayed to me that he had a meeting with his scouts on Zoom on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And the scouts, and it wasn't a particularly uh, important meeting, and the scouts were just like, are you freaking serious? And I want to say Christmas Day, right? And that I was told that at the winter meetings, and I could feel that coming through the article. Like, he just, he lacks that one skill. Like, you can... 
when you're talking about this pitcher and he's got he's got a pitcher's build, he's got the velocity, he's got the movement, you know, he's got the deliver can't throw strikes, right? There's like that one thing that if you don't have it, it, it derails your whole career. Oh, he can do this, do that. He can't field, you know? So he just doesn't quite understand how human beings work, I think. And that's not like me being snarky. That's like really like he's he's struggling with the idea of how to manage an organization personality-wise. That definitely comes through in this story. And and those guys, you know, Ken and Dennis deserve a lot of credit. It's really difficult to bring that stuff to the surface. It's very difficult. It's demanding. It requires a high bar ethically to clear. Obviously, they did that. And the result is we know a lot more about the San Diego Padres today than we did yesterday, which is the whole point of the enterprise. And what we know is, well, let's talk about team building for a second. You know, like Andy mentioned, if the masthead is listening, you know, I've been looking a lot at management lately, just like reading up on trying to understand team building and how difficult it actually is. I think this story that that's what came through to me so often. I think fans look at baseball executives, really all sports executives, and they think the job is making the trades. It's signing the right players. It's like, you know, kind of doing the franchise mode on Madden. It is, but it isn't. What it really is, is making sure that the team that's in charge of doing all of those things is functioning really well, or as well as it could possibly function, knowing that it's never going to be perfect, no one's ever going to be perfectly content, that there's going to be breakdowns in communication, because that's what teams are, that you're going to have these problems inherently. Sound management, though, is to get as close to the ideal as possible. And what this story revealed is that there are just a lot of fissures in the organization that they really haven't been able to outwork or out-talent. And I think that is the biggest takeaway from this is that, again, no one's going to be perfect. Building teams is so difficult, and it's precisely because of what Grant said. It involves people. That's the most complicated and complicating factor of all is that it's a human endeavor. But you can't have this many fissures and cracks. And then you know, I thought that was a really interesting theme about outworking, you know, like there's only so much you can outwork and there's only so much you can out talent if, if you haven't been able to build your team and run it properly. Grant, the, the anecdote you shared, uh, while it could never be reached in print or put in print, uh, thank you, uh, that was it was revealing, right, like about Preller. I, I, I want to say this, though. I think about like another executive who has a rep for being a real hard charger, right? Alex Anthopoulos is known as a, he's a guy who you get an email from him at 3 a.m. offering a trade, right? That's his sort of reputation. He's a like he he's a, a relentless sort of negotiator, you know, tons of energy, all that stuff, right? And that personality type, which Preller seems to have and based on the reporting of this story seems to have, that can work. If you have the situations like what the Braves do, like the Braves, for example, don't let their like scouting people or, you know, their their like assistant GMs talk about big league players. That's kind of their company policy. They have it all through. You know, they have a lot of similarities, right? They funnel it all through. They have sort of a chain of command. But what the Braves have is they have a veteran coaching staff that is empowered and entrusted by the front office to work with their players. They have a unified agreement on like, here's what we believe as an organization. Like they don't do load management, for example, right? Like their their players just play. 
Like their 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 starters are out there pretty much every single day, and that's an organizational philosophy. Whereas you see the fissures in the Padres are there's sort of like a push pull of like, well, we actually don't want that. We don't want to run our players into the ground. You know, they're a bit older. They're this. They're, you know, that doesn't work for us. There isn't a clear uh, like sort of through line. You can have the personality traits. You know, that might make you like a challenging person to get coffee with. It's still, though, like there you can succeed if there's a clear vision. And that's one of the things that talking to people around the sport for for years about, you know, what the Padres are doing. It's like, you know, I remember someone phrased it as like, oh, yeah, we have a we have a hole at um, we have a hole at first base. So we're going to go get another shortstop. Uh, with Xander Bogarts, <laughs> right? And so they had Jake Cronenworth, who was a really useful uh, sort of utility player. They gave him a ton of money, which like, okay, good for him. And they stuck him at a, at first base where his bat like doesn't play. And so they reduced his value, you know, all like it's just the lack of a grand plan always strikes me with the things they do it's also like yeah but they get they get they take big swings they get great players they get tons of talent like you can sort of it's hard to argue with acquiring Juan Soto or acquiring Josh Hader but the roster construction you're always sort of like what you know and that's come to the come to the forefront this year I think in a way that they'd been able to avoid in years past I will say that to go back to your point about uh, Alex Anthopoulos sending you an email at 3 a.m. asking for a trade. Okay, but there's a difference between that and expecting like your hitters to be up at three in the morning studying their swing. You know what I mean? Like, I just what I'm saying is like, I don't think it's all trapped within Preller's relentlessness. I think it's deeper than that. That's certainly part of it. But I think that there's like that that sense of I'm up at three, maybe you should be too. Not not specifically being up at three a.m., but that mentality of I got it. Why don't my coaches have it the same way? Why don't you know? Why aren't we always grinding? You know, ABG, let's go, baby. I guess what I'm saying is you can feel clearly Anthopolis in in you know if you ever sp- spoken to him, he's like he's riffing, man. He's moving a mile a minute, right? Like this is a man who you know thinks fast, moves fast, breaks things, all that sort of stuff, right? But he is able to temper that in the way he runs his organization. That's I go. guess the point I was okay. trying to make. And what I, you guys are describing is a word that you've both kind of used um, and not necessarily emphasized, but it's in there. Thread the needle. Thread. <laughs> Yeah, Squint. threading. Squint. Oh, I love it. No, feel. We're talking about feel. And this is like an annoying conversation to have for many because you can't measure it. You can't, you know, quantify it. Yet, you know it when you see it. And I think more so, you know it when it isn't there. And this is what came through so strong in that story, in addition to that anecdote that was unprintable that Grant shared here on this podcast. <laughs> That, you know, it's, which is nothing more than hearsay. But anyway, um, like apocryphal. Yes. (laughs) Apocryphal. But no, anyway. Game of telephone is how I described it. Yeah. It's just, it's like a, you know, yeah, a game of telephone. But what, look, it's a lack of feel. And I think it's, and people confuse that with personality types. And I think that's what Andy's point is too, is you don't have to be the Zen master. You don't even have to be like chill, right? You can be pretty intense and still be an effective leader. What you got to have is feel. And I think one of the places where that shows up pretty easily in this sport is whether you guys and the field staff, as the front office and field staff get along. Because if you do, 
there's probably some decent feel from above. If you don't, that's a pretty decent sign that there isn't that feel. And how many managers has he gone through, has probably gone through during this time? You know, I think part of this too is, is or at least what came off to me in the stories, man, there's a lot of noise and a lot of action for very little result. This guy's done very little as far as outcomes go. And, and that is really a red flag. And, and honestly, it's easy to forget that because there is a lot of activity with A.J. Preller. There's a lot of moving. There's a lot of shaking. There's a lot of phone calls. There's a lot of trade proposals. There's a lot of crazy ideas. You know what there's not a lot of? Wins. And, and that's really problematic. So I, I think what I, I thought, they again, they did just a tremendous job. But the one thing that really came out to me is, hey, this is at his feet, man. He's had shot after shot after shot at this. And they've got how many playoff appearances in his tenure? Now let's rack up how many disappointing seasons they've had in his tenure. Where, where you're just like, just like we're looking at this year going, how did this doesn't add up? And Andy's right. He said it at the beginning. They're the most contemptible kind of team for that reason. I was talking to an exec yesterday from another club who was, who was just sort of like casually just blasting them. Um, and... <laughs> It wasn't even someone who worked for the Dodgers. So, like, it wasn't someone who, like, harbors the sort of weird contempt that Dodgers, you know, harbor for the Padres. But he was just – he was like he had been watching them and he was just like no situational awareness. You know, like, they get two runners on, the next guy strikes out, and then with one out, the next guy just swings at a curveball for no reason and taps it back to the mound. Just like they don't play – good situational baseball and it shows in the numbers you can see that they you know they are they're much worse with runners in scoring position they're much worse in late and close situations and all of this stuff is are things that i think as as the story correctly pointed out like you could easily see this group winning 95 games next year you could easily see it you don't have to even squint you just look at the roster you know and that's whatever like you could see this they won't be the same team next year but you know what i'm saying what Mark Mark's point about the sort of the turnover and the lack of, you know, the lack of actual results. I mean, they're on their Bob Melvin is the fourth manager they've hired since they declined to give the job to Dave Roberts, let alone let Dave Roberts interview. There's a good chance they'll be looking for a fifth this winter. I think in some ways, I feel like Preller's reputation among writers and, and visa and in turn, the public really benefited from the era in which he started to make waves. He was the guy doing stuff at a time when executives stopped doing stuff to an extent, at a time when no one was willing to give up the other side of the Teixeira trade, right? At a time when the owners sort of claimed austerity for no reason. And all of a sudden there were no bit, you know, it took until February, it took until February to sign Manny Machado and Bryce Harper a couple years ago. Can you believe that? It, it seems crazy now. Like if those guys went on the market now, like they, they would be, they would get more money than they got two months earlier because teams would just be lined up to do it, right? But Preller benefited from a time period in which activity was conflated with success. And I think there, and I think some of that, right, is because the industry sort of shamefully like race towards the middle for quite some time. And they still are in a lot of ways. But that race towards the middle made anyone who was willing to go for it a someone worth celebrating, I think. And, you know, we've seen it in the stories. Like, you know, I've, I know that I've sort of written it when you're, 
you're in the winter where nothing has happened for two months and then all of a sudden they just do something crazy and you're like, ah, this guy rocks. Like, let's, yeah, man, he's going for it. And then like you look up in June and you're like, they're three games under? Like, what the, f-? you know? I do feel like our industry, you know, like myself included, you know, just are kind of complicit in the conflation uh, or, or the, the lack of sort of discussion of the fact that this team loses most years. And that's a really astute point about like the media part of that, because, you know, it gets celebrated and, you know, as long as you're kind of just doing something, right, do something and then, yeah, like, right. that'll, you know, right. win a moment, that sort of thing. <laughs> but these are executives, right? AJ Prowler is supposed to, supposed to lead an organization's like baseball department. He's fallen into, it seems like, a, a pretty common trap and one that everybody should know about by now, which is to not confuse activity for outcomes. It's a very common thing to do. It, it's classic inefficiency. So, and, and they've been trapped by it, man. And the, again, we get some pretty interesting examples and comments from people who've been in that orbit that appear in that story that paint the picture of, of that classic scenario, a place where you don't want to be, where you're doing a bunch of stuff. And, you know, the purpose gets lost. And therefore, the, the outcomes don't don't shape up the way you want them to. So I think there was a, a quote in their institutional failure. Um, no, that's true. It's also management failure. Like, I, you know, I would take it a half a step further. And, and aside from like the ownership group, this, you know, A.J. Prowler has been the constant through all of this. It's not, it's certainly not the coaches, managers, or players. It, it's the executives. And, and man, it's just been a very unimpressive final out, like outcome like right the work product at the end of the day is suboptimal then that's being generous we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit here. I'm going to take a uh, time machine back to 2002. Uh, Interpol's turn on the bright lights, uh, blowing up the, the indie charts. And I'm on baseball think factory, baseball primer. And I'm, <laughs> I'm discussing with, with the nerds. I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the Padres and I've got my opinion. Uh, they're Pythag, like you're saying. They should be 84 and 67. What's more than that? Extra inning games. 0 and 11, which is mm, chef's kiss. One run games, 6 and 22. Again, I'm not sure if I actually believe this, but what if they're just a little unlucky? And by a little unlucky, I mean historically a lot unlucky. Because we've seen it go the other way. We're like, there's a, I can't remember which Rangers team it was like 36 and 2 in one run games. And everyone's like, they're not going to do that next year. And then the next year came and they didn't do it because that thing could be fluky. It's not institutional. How maybe, maybe, maybe there's just a lot of bad luck in one thing leading to a domino and a loss. I don't know. Yet again, Grant is arguing that wins don't matter. Oh <laughs> my God, here it is. Yet here again, is. Yet Grant's again. just like, hey, look, I've looked at the Pythag. Who cares what actually happened? What if they don't play the game on the field? What if they just played it on paper and made it easier for everyone? If you were a Padres 
person who wants to be hopeful about next year. You would point to that. You would point to, look, we were good in one-run games last year, historically fluky, you know, like roll everyone out again and, you know, we'll we'll be just fine. The problem is like, okay, but next year, you know, Manny Machado's a year older. Blake Snell's a free agent. Hassan Kim, you know, probably won't be a six-win player next year, you know, like all that sort of stuff, right? Soto will be a year older and his defense will probably be worse, um, you know, all these things. So, like, you don't have – I don't think you have Josh Hader either. It's, so, yes, they have been unlucky. And, yes, their, their run differential suggests that they're better. But I do think there are – I mean, we can all agree, right, that good baseball teams figure out how to win games. I, I've never seen a good baseball team have a losing record. I think you're about to with the 2023 Padres. I, but they're not a good <laughs> baseball team, right, because they okay. lose most days. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't be a good baseball team if you lose most days, right? I know that this is like a chicken or egg thing, but I'm making sort of a, you know, a, a tautological point or something. I don't know. On Baseball Think Factory, they'd just be like flaming me and then going back to – like working at the, you know, the can factory or whatever. These are Gen Xers. They weren't working. <laughs> <laughs> they I wasn't. Just their, you know, keyboard warriors in training, baby. The number Come of on. people who reached out to me last week to say it was ridiculous, Mark, that you pretend you're a millennial was very funny. It was, it was notable. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, How many anyway. people reached out to you with this uh, More point? people than Wags has had bylines since June, put it that way. Who, um, so who was this person? I'm not Who gonna, was this I, single person that did no. this? No. <laughs> that's funny. It's because um, Wags doesn't write anymore. That's why it's funny. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Grant, so if that's the argument you're making, right, that like everything's fluky, like weird year, man. I don't believe it necessarily. But you yeah, know, I guess I know what how... I'm, but like you've watched them play. Like they don't play good situational baseball. They can play like a bunch of ding-dongs. That's for sure. Yeah. Like and even and I, I so I think about the 2018 Dodgers a lot. Right. Because that team was like really instructive on sometimes you have a season that's just kind of like born under a bad sign. Right. And like that was that year, like Kenley Jansen's velocity disappeared. Corey Seager injured his elbow like in the first month, like Clayton Kershaw's stuff was just never there. They were the team was grumpy and like sort of, you know, grumbling the entire time. They played the entire season with their heads up their ass and they ended up winning their division and going to the World Series just because they're sort of like they have the organizational uh, just sort of uh, they have a built in culture of winning. It kind of reminds me of the 2023 Dodgers who have had, you know, all sorts of things going on. It's just the Dodgers. It's just there. And and so, you know, and, you know, I also want to, there was another very interesting, very well done story about the Padres uh, a few days ago, mostly in the San Diego Union Tribune, mostly focusing on Manny Machado and like the, the clubhouse culture. And I think that that is certainly a part of this too, is that at, at some point there is, there is a burden upon the players to, pick one another up to recognize, you know, the sort of uh, the way the season is trending to play with urgency to, you know, be able to stem the tide when you have this much talent. I think that the, the, the best teams, you know, those those Dodgers teams, those, you know, the, the Astros do it pretty much every year. The Astros have had a ton of stuff go wrong and they're in first place. You know, Braves dealt with a ton of pitching injuries this year. They kept going, you know, the, the, the Yankees in the 2000s, whatever, like great teams tend to overcome, you know, calamity. And this team, for whatever reason, does not have the seeming culture in place to do that. Well, yeah, and I think this is why, uh, I get Grant's 
you know, sort of devil's advocate argument about luck, right? And that, that applies to every team. You, you can, you know, depending on how the breaks go, look really, really good or, or, or kind of have this conversation. The thing with the Padres, though, is that this has pretty much been the entire AJ Prowler tenure. <laughs> right, this isn't right. one year. This is like the fact that they that they can have these wild swings and ups and downs is not just a product of luck. Okay, it's a product of the fact that they have a weak culture. It seems that doesn't help them get through the turbulence. And you guys just kept naming all of these clubs that do, right? I mean, the Houston Astros were not good. For parts of this year, okay? <laughs> like, they just weren't. Like, you looked at the players on the field or whatever, and, like, the outcome, you're just like, boy, they're struggling, right? They're hurt, they're not whole, and they look it. Look at them now. So this is, and, and this is something you saw, you've seen in them. And yes, I know, everybody's already rolling their eyes about, well, the garbage cans have something to do with it. Nah, nah, nah. But, like, okay, the last couple of years, you've seen them fight through some stuff. And I think... Uh, the Atlanta Braves are the same way, and obviously the Dodgers, as we've discussed, are um, you know masters at it. What they've done this year is remarkable. So this is where culture shows up. This is where is your organization close to functioning at max capacity. This is where it shows up. Is is the steadiness of it, and the Padres have been anything but right. So yeah, you can look at their Pythagorean and like you'd be right. You could also look at the last six seven years and just be like, no no, this is a pattern. This is what they do. So if you're ranking rotations in baseball, there's a strong chance that number in the top five are pitchers on the Rays 60-day IL. You know what I mean? Like they've got <laughs> right. more talent right. on the 60-day IL, and then you look up and the Rays are, are good. They're, they're always good. They're going to win 90 to 100 games. I mean, they're just institutional. I, I, totally, can, I totally can get that. And it, one takeaway that I got from the Rosenthal-Lynn article is that it seems... Like there's a lack of awareness when it comes to grinding players into dust or maybe working, you know, not appreciating what rest. Because I've been on the other side of it. Uh, I've written 10,000 words a week. And I'll tell you, the last articles of that week are trash. They're garbage. They're just brain dead. And so, you know, you can do whatever you do 20 hours a day. That doesn't mean it's going to be better than what you could do in 10 hours a day. And that's different from baseball. But you know what I'm saying? That certainly came through in the story that there are the players maybe feel like they're getting overworked. I also feel like one thing that I have thought about a lot as I'm working through uh, a forthcoming book called The Last of His Kind, uh, Clayton Kershaw and the Burden of Greatness, which you can pre-order at all booksellers now, uh, is that great players are very stubborn and great players understand what makes them great and great players sort of know how to fiddle the knobs to maintain that equilibrium. And so I am sympathetic to the idea of like, ah, too much, too many days on, you know, too much early work, too much BP, too much this, you know, blah, blah, blah. I also think the players have some agency there, you know, like Freddie Freeman shows up and does his thing for the Dodgers. Like he's not on the Dodgers program. He's on the Freddie Freeman program, which fits into the confines of what the Dodgers do. That's different than being OFP. It's more like the things he does are the things that he knows that he needs to do to get ready for the game. And I feel like most elite players, part of their job is kind of maintaining that. 
And it's the job of management, you know, the coaching staff and all that to just monitor it and make sure they're not falling out. Like one thing that Manny Machado did say was he says, this isn't like little league. This isn't high school, which like, I think he wasn't exactly talking about this, but it was more the idea. Like the coaches don't, you know, the Texas Rangers don't tell Corey Seager how much to hit. Corey Seager hits until he feels right. And sometimes that can be an issue, but he handles his own sort of pre, you know, his own work. I don't know very many elite players who are following like close instructions from their coaches about how to get ready on a day-to-day basis. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know, Mark, like what, like what would David Wright do? You know what I mean? No, I'm dead <laughs> like, serious. I mean, so, like, well, what probably, is J- like, I mean, what, David you know, Wright probably like said that he was healthy when he wasn't way too well, many times. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. But like Derek Jeter, you covered Jeter, you know, when he was still Derek Jeter. Like Derek Jeter wasn't doing what the organization mandated. He was doing what Derek Jeter knew he needed to do. That's right. Like I think, you know, Andy, you hit on like something that's very true. And this is you see this all the time. The better you are, the more you call your shots. That's how it is. Right. Like so who's going to tell Derek Jeter what to do during that time? And that's what remember, like there was a big blow up between him and the general manager. Because, you know, Jeter's defense had slipped and the GM told him to his face that it had slipped. There's a reason why those things... Not true, buddy. uh Aha, not me. But like, you know, (laughs) if you look at at, at that scenario, and it's actually a really good example here, is that everybody saw it, right? Objectively. Like, let's not... People make fun of Jeter. I think it's sort of like such... At this point, like, come on, man. Dude was a great player, all right? But like, yeah, he had slipped defensively and everybody saw it except him. And it went unchecked. And so when it did get called out in this way that got out later on, it was, you know a big thing, a blow up. And like, that's the whole, you know, I I think that's where management, we're talking about management ultimately. This is where management needs to be sharper. This is where they've got to be the ones feeling all this stuff before it becomes a problem. All right. Like, and, and this is another thing, but with lack of feel, as we talked about earlier, without feel, you can't adjust. So while, yeah, I mean, and I agree, like the players, especially at that level, have agency. That is true. There is still an agenda that is set by management. And when, when the GM is walking around stretch, checking on guys, like, I mean, that is just so beyond the pale, like, to me. Like, you don't do that. That's not necessarily true, though. Like, I saw, like, the Dodgers would do that. Andrew Friedman does that from time to time. From time to time. What I got from the story was that this was happening a lot and that, like, he's trying to be their friend and, like, that undermines your coaching staff. So, like, I'm not saying not to be a human. That's fine. This went further. And so it becomes really difficult to put it all in player agency, right, in this particular case, when literally in this story, we're getting examples of, of AJ interjecting himself into places where, frankly, he probably shouldn't be. You know, just for the sake of not undermining the people who are supposed to be getting those messages across. That's a problem. I think that it's perfectly fine if you're interjecting, if you're spreading the same message. There you go. That's, that's right. The, that's, so maybe that's the point I was, I, I guess I was thinking about with the Dodgers is that when Rick Honeycutt goes and talks to, you know, pitcher Mark Pryor now and Andrew Friedman maybe talks to that pitcher, they're not saying different things. You know, they might be saying it slightly differently, trying, you know, like spoonful of sugar versus tough love or whatever, but they're not sending a different message. And that and, and that just gets back to lack of organizational cohesion. That might have been the most damning part of the whole article. We've talked about almost everything coming up to that, but that that kind of anecdote of the players like, I don't know who to trust. 
that's like a problem. You know, you got two different people talking in two different ears. In yeah, that that's not what you're getting at the Rays. That's not what you're getting at. It's not what you're getting at the Giants. You know what I mean? Like it's not even a team that's not doing so hot. It's they're doing a little bit better than the Padres because they at least are on the same page. Right. Like the Giants kind of stink, but they seem to have organizational cohesion, and that can probably power you towards 84 wins. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. If you're a true talent, 77 win team sometimes. In fairness now, and like Andy, like like I'm curious what you think of this because like, you know, as long as you've covered the sport, there are also some things in here that apply to just about every team. Okay, right? Like, I mean, there, for instance, we're talking about organizational cohesion. And I almost look at like that front office manager relationship as being more of a spectrum than anything else. Because it's never going to be like peas and carrots, ever. It shouldn't be. They got conflicting you know, um, um, what do you call it? Like goals in some time, you know, sometimes it like they actually are going against each other just because like one's got to look at the, the long term and like the 30,000 foot view and the other guy's trying to win right now. All right. And like those do not line up sometimes. So there's always going to be friction. But that stuff like, yo, there are a lot of teams that have those issues. I think what 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 separates the Padres is that this feels like it's been long standing. And certainly the churn in that job tells you that maybe this was a thing. All right. So like, like I think to be fair, you can do like Joe Girardi used to say this all the time about relief pitchers, especially you could stick him in an MRI tube, any one of them, and you're going to find something. When we're talking about cohesion, whatever you, you could sh- shove an organization into the MRI tube and you're going to find fissures somewhere. It's just a matter of, are they so bad that they're going to derail you? And I think with the San Diego Padres, we've gotten our answer time and again. The answer is yes, it's so bad it's going to derail you. Whereas the example you were just using, the Giants, let's say, harder to make that argument. You know, it seems like they, 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 they're connected enough to weather some stuff. Okay, and then certainly a couple of years ago, I had some big time success for it. But anyway, it's something worth noting there too. Just like these were not unique issues. Okay, not in fairness. I'm fascinated by the idea to hire Bob Melvin if you're going to keep micromanaging him. You know what I mean? You you have, you're on manager number four or five or whatever, and you had a bunch of first-time managers before him, didn't work out. So you get Bob Melvin. Feels like that's a situation where there's a, a, a communal understanding that this guy is to be wound up and left alone for the most part, and that's not what's happening. Like, I just don't see in Texas Chris Young down there being like, Boach, you know, last uh, yesterday you, you did this, and have you considered a pinch hitting with the platoon advantage? You know, no, you're just going to wind up Boachy and let him go, even if he drives you nuts sometimes. I just don't understand where that disconnect happened because it felt like the move itself was addressing a need to maybe back off the micromanaging and it's it's from the article at least it seems like it's not happening at all yeah i mean it was very clearly like a reactionary type of hire not necessarily that hiring bob melvin is a you know bob, bob melvin's a one manager of the year you know almost as often as buck showalter i think so, uh, <laughs> um but obviously bob melvin's had a wonderful career as a manager so i'm not trying to but it's more like you hire bob melvin right because you had issues with Jace Tingler in the clubhouse. Let's find the tallest grown-up we can find. You know, like, let's let's find the guy who we know this won't be an issue. But the common denominator, right, is the person above Bob Melvin who's involved in those discussions. If you're going to hire a guy of that sort of ilk, right, you kind of got to 
plug and play to some extent. You got to trust that they're going to adapt along with the game. They're going to, you know, not manage like it's 1996 just because, you know, they're familiar with 1996 and Bob Melvin obviously knows how to run a game in 2023. But you also kind of got to give them some autonomy. And that's just clearly not a thing <laughs> there. No, when people when there's this many people that are talking about the culture, it hints to me that there's a lot of folks feeling who just, you know, for feeling not empowered by being there. And I think oftentimes one of the ways in which people lash out when they don't feel empowered, when they feel a bit disenfranchised or not listened to or acknowledged, is to tell everybody about it. All right. These stories don't exist without that feeling. Period. So I think that that's pretty damning right there. And it, it goes along to Andy's point. Clearly, they, you know, they hire this manager with track record and whatever. You're supposed to empower that guy. And it, and it feels from this article that they've done anything but that. And here's the result. You know, it's really too bad because, you know, Bob Melvin is a good manager. He's had a lot of success, very highly respected. But how can you hire this guy and then, like, you know, not let him do his job? It just seems crazy to me. Mark, is that your phone that keeps making notification noises? I think that's my laptop. Millennial my ass. You got to put that on silent. That's wow. that's That's boomer stuff right wow. there. Wow. I looked it up. Three-time manager of the year, award winner, <laughs> Buck. Four. <laughs> Four times, Mark. Well, they should hire Buck next year. That's oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! That's Mush, what needs to yes, yes. Perish yeah. the thought. Yeah. How many grantees has he won? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next year, you're tra- you're trying to figure out how to make the Padres as successful as they should have been. Are you a acquiring a big name free agent? No. Are you making the one big trade that solidifies this? No. Is it possible that the only thing between the Padres and success is the ability for everyone to just take a big honking breath and go, all right, things are a little bit looser around here. We can kind of go about our business as a baseball team. Feels like that's the only chance they have. And I know that it said that the, the owner's fond of Preller, but it seems like... That's the one the one weird trick that might get the Padres back is just a change from the, the tippy top. Wait, so are you suggesting they should hire the guy who like owns the Savannah Bananas? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. hey, Look, as a writer, I'm in. I'll never advocate for someone losing their job. No, uh, no, I'm just but saying. Like, yeah, I mean, like the results are what they are. You know, you, you are what your record says you are. Um, it's a... It's a uh, you know, as Chris Young liked to say, it's a results-based game. <laughs> so did AJ in the story. Look, I mean, so if you're, I don't like like watching people lose their jobs. But like, if we're trying to talk about something critically, and, and this is not advocating it, but like, if you're asking me what my opinion is about, are they better with him or without him? It's pretty hard to argue that they're better with him, given what's been presented That's in this world. That's, That's what I'm okay. Saying. That and that, and look, and you you can't fire owners. So who's left? And they've tried with the other. They've changed over the players. They've changed over the coaches. They've changed over the managers. And this is the still the same thing. So when you've run out of other things to change out, I mean, logically, like, yeah, maybe it's time for uh, someone in there to set a different tone for the organization. I think that's really the biggest thing they do. People in that position set the tone. They set the agenda. They basically determine how people go about their work. I got it. Hire Heim Bloom, trade Juan Soto. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, buddy. 
Whoa, getting saucy. Poor Heimbloom, man. I know. <laughs> well, look, I, you know, multiple things can be true. Heimbloom got a raw deal. He probably could have done a better job as well. So that's our Heimbloom note. We'll see you next week. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't just drop Heimbloom in I know, just 45. like a minute 49 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I will say this. I will be very interested to see if Heimbloom gets another shot and if it's in a at working for an organization that seems uh, a bit more coherent about what their ownership wants because he's obviously a pretty bright fella who had a great time in uh, Tampa Bay and, uh, you know, kind of got tripped up and also biffed it uh, in Boston, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I will say I, did, I didn't want to make it sound like I was advocating uh, for A.J. Prella to lose his job. I don't do that, uh, with the exception, I think uh, Clarence Thomas should lose his job. <laughs> I think I will go on record as saying that. that. That's a good way to end this podcast. All right. This has been episode number... Grant, did you know that they made Beetlejuice into a musical? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Did they Stop. did they change did they change it so the movie had a happy ending? Stop! <laughs> All right, here, this here. has been episode Whoa. number sixty six of the Baseball Roundtable. We'll be back next week, maybe, maybe, unless <laughs> I get fired for gambling or off color jokes. Because yeah, that's we'll what see. it's going to be, Grant. The gambling. <laughs> I don't gamble. All right, see you next week. I was very wrong. <laughs> <laughs>